Better Call Saul Season 2 is over and has been for about two and a half weeks, but we're just getting started talking about your feedback here on the Better Call Saul post-show recap Season 2 post-season special. And now, here are the two guys coming to you live from a Faraday cage. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? Well, Rob, I could tell you how I was, or I could lie about it and trick you. Uh, and if I tricked you, then I maybe could get something out of you that I wanted. So which do you want me to do? Hmm. Well, don't trick me. Okay. I if won't. I have a preference. <laughs> but I have a choice. Yes. Yes. Okay. Don't trick me. Got it. I, w- I will save that for future reference for your, as, your, as your preferences, Rob. It's now saved. Okay. Save setting. Antonio, uh, yeah, it's really only been about two weeks and a day, uh, or, or what is it? It's only three weeks now since the, uh, I, who knows? I don't even remember. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a blur, but it, not too much time has passed before we put Better Call Saul 2 into the archives, and now here we are to talk about it. And that night of the finale, it was my last night in New York. I, am, of course, uh, am back here in my studio, and we have a little more of a chance to get some distance from Better Call Saul season two and answer some of your questions and talk about everything that went on all through the whole season. Yeah. And you know that it is, it's a kind of show where we talked about it throughout the season. It's a slow burn. There are, there are some big things that go down throughout the course of the season, but I think that it it merits kind of a second look to say, Oh, that's how it ultimately arced out. That's where we were at the start of the season. Here's where we ended. Uh, I went back and watched it. Cherry picked a few episodes from the season. Rob, I rewatched the finale. I know you did as well. Uh, We listened to the insider podcast. We're aware of what's been said kind of post our, our recap podcast of the finale. So we're here to kind of sum all that up, deliver our thoughts on that uh, and really kind of put a bow on season two of better call Saul. Antonio, how have you been? I've been great, Rob. Been really good. This is, uh, I don't know, not watching Better Call Saul suits me, I guess. But no, I don't mean for it to sound that way. But uh, been pretty good. How about you, Rob? Yeah, uh, very you traveled? Good. Yeah. No. Uh, lots of stuff going on. You know, I've been uh, busy on the post-show recap side of things with all of the uh, Game of Thrones coverage going on. Of course, uh, Fear the Walking Dead has been uh, continuing to go on. I know you're also covering uh, Mr. Robot right now. So uh, we've been very busy since uh, Better Call Saul has ended. Yeah, the Game of Thrones coverage on post-show recaps blows my mind because in a 10-day period, you're going to have six podcasts uh, about Game of Thrones. You, you know, you've got the, you've got the oh, a let's lot. recap the episode. Let's do a feedback show. Let's do a book club yeah. show. And then in a week later, let's do it again. So do it all blows over. my mind. That's right. Okay, so uh, let's get into this. So has there been any one major thought that you've been thinking about since we last signed off on, I believe, April 18th during the finale of Better Call Saul? season two i do have one major thought and i'm curious as to get your take on this because throughout the course of our watch of better call Saul, not just this past season or not just the finale but season one as well we talked a lot about how the show seems to be kind of taking half measures or when are they going to get to the breaking bad of it all and it, it occurs to me rob that if they get to the breaking bad of it all if they make jimmy into Saul goodman and they they make him a really bad person and they put Mike in with Gus Fring. That, that show then does have a, a kind of an end date on it. And it seems to me that they want to take their time getting there in part, I guess, because once they get there, uh, where do they go from there? Do they have the misadventures of Saul Goodman uh, getting into the criminal underworld? It's, it's a different show once they get there than the show that they've made now for two seasons. And so 
I think if you look at the arc of what Better Call Saul will be as a series, I don't know how many seasons we're going to get of the character drama of Jimmy McGill, Chuck McGill, Kim, and all of it. But once you cross that bridge, once you cross that line, all of that's really gone. And you're in a position where it's a different show where people are going to want to see different things, mostly criminal things. And so I, I don't mind that they're taking their time because I think once they cross that bridge, you, you can't unring that bell, Rob. Yeah. And in terms of Jimmy and him as a character through two seasons, I mean, he is going to become this despicable character by the time we get to Breaking Bad. But I don't even think we're close in terms of who he is as a character. I mean, I think that all of the you know, transgressions that he's made through two seasons, I think that you could sort of say, OK, he did this for a good reason. His heart was in the right place on just about everything. I mean, could you come up with what is the worst thing that he ended up doing that wasn't like for some other noble reason? I mean, I guess you could say like getting price out of trouble, like lying to the cops or, you know, something like that. And even then it's a favor to Mike. He's not doing it for money and he's doing it as a favor to Mike in part just because he kind of likes the guy and Mike is there for him. So yeah, you're right. And I think that that not only are you right, Rob, I think you're really right. Because if you think about the Jimmy McGill uh, or Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad, he's the kind of guy that has absolutely no problem saying that another character should just murder someone and being serious about it. And I don't know about you, Rob, but I don't see that in Jimmy McGill right now. And so we have to be building to a point where he's he becomes the kind of guy that's okay doing that. And we're just we're not even anywhere close to that. You're right. And so I think that we still have a ways to go with all of this. And I think it's going to be interesting to see at what point do we start to make that pivot. And, you know, they've taken Jimmy McGill and turned him into somebody that is so likable on the show. Ultimately, what is that going to look like when he's the protagonist of the show, but eventually is going to be somebody who's unlikable? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you want to speculate, but it almost seems to me that there has to be a major kind of issue with Kim to really set him off here because we can kind of draw a line and we'll talk about this because we have a lot of questions about the note and about Chuck and, and the general kind of context of the show, but you can kind of draw a line and say, Oh, I understand he might change his name to Saul Goodman because of the, because of the recording, because of what Chuck did, because he taped him and he's going to, you know, he's going to say, I don't want you to use the McGill name. You're making me look really bad. So I'm going to want you to change your name. You can see him becoming Saul Goodman in name, but I think in attitude, we have a ways to go. You're right. And I just think that Kim is the thing that keeps him grounded and keeps him kind of normal and keeps his heart in things. And I think something bad's going to have to happen with Kim to push him over the edge. I really am starting to think that. But what sort of bad thing could happen to her? I mean, all of the actual danger in the storyline is all on the Mike side of things. Like it'd be hard to imagine where the Salamancas, you know, want to strike back and they target Kim or anything like that. It doesn't seem like there's any physical danger on that side of the ledger. And I don't even understand how she would end up getting there. Well, it's right now. Like that's right now. You're right. And, and give it one season though, where Mike and Jimmy start coming together and, Mike starts working more closely with Jimmy. And we saw what the Salamancas did this season. They went on top of that roof and they threatened Mike's loved ones. They threatened his granddaughter. They threatened the thing that he, they knew that he cared the most about. And for that, for Jimmy, that's Kim, uh, unquestionably. Uh, no, no doubt about it. And 
So you can kind of start to draw a line where if Jimmy gets involved more with Mike and as he's being a lawyer to get his practice, maybe he doesn't want to do the elder law. Or maybe it doesn't really work that well. And he starts working with Mike a little bit more, gets involved in a situation where all of a sudden there could be blowback on Kim. We've seen him cause Kim a lot of blowback professionally. We've seen that that come back on, on, on her throughout the season because of the activities of Jimmy. It's not that much of a stretch to say it could happen personally because of some things that Jimmy gets into. So I think that that's kind of where we'll, we're probably headed in the grander scheme of things. And I think that only something truly taking Kim out of the equation or Kim taking herself out of the equation is going to ultimately push Jimmy further away from his humanity. And he's got so much humanity right now that he can't be the Saul Goodman who's suggesting that people be murdered. It just does. It's not the same person right now. Okay. Well, let's get into some of these feedback questions. I'm sure that these are going to be themes that we're going to be continuing to touch on as we go through all this stuff. All right. So let's start with a question. Really? We have a couple questions about the tape. Um, this is a longer question about, well, first of all, actually, Brian wanted to know specifically from me, what exactly is Jimmy's crime? Uh, and Rob, I, you know, we know that what he's confessed to on the tape, we know what he did. We know that, that he forged the documents, right? We know that mm-hmm. the documents were sent in forged. He made Chuck look bad and did all those things. Does, does it, has it ever struck you as a criminal act that he did? I'm sure that the law is very specific. I mean, I think that at the very least, you would imagine that he could get disbarred for the type of forgery that he admitted to. Right, so right. you would have to imagine that there would be some major legal ramifications for the things that are on that tape if Chuck was so inclined to use it to press some sort of charges against him. Yeah, believe it or not, like they don't like it when lawyers lie. Mm. Uh, we, <laughs> I know, strange thing, right? That's shocking. But that is something that the profession, at least nominally, looks down on. Uh, keeping in mind, I'm a lawyer, so I've been kind of trained in these sorts of things, uh, what to do, what not to do, but also how to get away with, really, is what it ultimately comes down to. Uh, where do you act in the letter of the law versus the, the reality of it? And while Jimmy's actions may not sound in a criminal fashion, I think that you could argue that there's some fraud there, uh, and that varies state by state as to whether that's a criminal activity or whether that's a civil tort, uh, something you can sue someone for. Uh, but Jimmy has certainly committed fraud. There's no question about it. And that's the felony that Chuck is, I think, talking about, is that you've got some forgery or, or fraud kind of felony level, whatever New Mexico wants to list that as, that has gone on. Like, that has happened. And so then the question becomes... Ultimately, what does Chuck do with it? And I think that's the bigger issue is you're right. Does Chuck do anything about it? We had other questions about about that. Um, We had questions specifically from Rainbow Shalom Hayes. This is a little bit longer. Rainbow says, love you guys. Thank you, Rainbow. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your intelligent breakdown of BCS. Moi. Regarding Chuck's tape recorder con of Jimmy, you two were discussing his motivations. The way I saw it was that he was so humiliated by the discrepancy and embarrassed to come across as a crazy person blaming Jimmy all the time that he desperately needs that proof simply to prove to Hamlin or to Mesa Verde or to the board that he was not at a loss. He needs to save face. He was like, don't mess with my thing, yo. Would that be enough motivation for him to record this confession? Is it possible that he doesn't take it to court, but simply shows it to the people who witnessed his false incompetency? Would he put his brother in jail or simply seek to publicly humiliate him as payback? What are your thoughts on that, on, on that, Rob, now that we've got a little distance? Is Chuck kind of recording this so that he can do something with it, or is he doing it really just to kind of get leverage over Jimmy? I mean, I think that 
it's probably both things. I, I, I do think he wants to get leverage over Jimmy, but I feel like that his whole thing is going back to he is a you know chimpanzee with a machine gun or, right. or however he described him. I, you don't you should not be a lawyer. Get out of here. Stop. Doing, I feel like that that might bring more disgrace onto him to have his brother be indicted or thrown in jail as this person like that would look bad also i think for chuck i don't think he wants to play the tape for hamlin or anything like that and say see you see you see i wasn't crazy i don't think hamlin cares that much i think hamlin is sort of like eh, you, you made a mistake big deal you know this isn't the end all be all we have plenty of accounts so i don't think that it's necessarily to save face but i just feel like that he wants to Back when, you know, earlier this season, there was that whole thing where Jimmy was trying to get Chuck to say the words to extort him and to blackmail him. And I think that he's there. I think that Chuck is going to try to use this to get leverage over Jimmy, but I don't think he's going to turn it into the authorities or anything like that. Yeah, I think that was in the episode Gloves Off, uh, which is one of the earlier episodes from the season. And I think that's a really important conversation to point back to, Rob, Mm -hmm. because I think that is where Jimmy is goading Chuck and basically saying to him, I will quit practicing law if you take care of Kim, ultimately, is what he's saying. Like, give give her what she deserves. Tell her, take her off punishment, ultimately. Kim has been punished in that scenario because Jimmy has... He has played the commercial uh, without the permission of Davis and Maine, uh, even though he told Kim that he had it. Kim has been grilled by Howard and ultimately sent to doc review. And Jimmy is red hot upset about this. He blames Chuck for it. And he's telling Chuck, like, you know, you, you tried to you punished her. And Chuck says, no, Howard did that. And Jimmy ultimately says, get dirty, get your hands you know, dirty, get down in the mud and wrestle around with me. If you extort me if you want to you want to tell me this tell me tell me that you'll take care of her and i'll quit i'll quit being a lawyer i'll stop doing this when you get back to the tape on the tape jimmy says to to chuck i did this for her not to hurt you i wasn't looking to hurt you i didn't even think you'd get that upset about it i did this because she deserves the client she worked hard for the client you guys are just chortling and sipping whiskey and she deserves this client and and that's why i did it And I don't know what kind of sympathy Chuck has for that. I don't know if that's going to upset him. And I think we could see a little bit of Chuck kind of what we saw in the finale was Chuck becoming the con man, better con man even than Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so once he's crossed that line, I can see easily where he's going to be in a position where he gets something out of Jimmy. And to me, the biggest thing he's going to want to get out of Jimmy is stop using my name. I don't want you to use the McGill name anymore. You bring shame to it. Call yourself something else. I think that really ultimately is the biggest thing we're going to get out of this tape. I mean, to me, do you think that that is that big of a deal for Chuck? It's just the name brand. I don't care what you're doing as long as you call it something else. Well, that's the question. The question is ultimately now that Chuck has rolled around in the mud with Jimmy, now that he has gotten his hands dirty, how dirty is he going to get them? Is he going to turn his brother in and take him to jail? Keeping in mind, this is the the same Chuck who got his brother out of jail after the Chicago sunroof incident, mm-hmm. uh, who set his brother on the right path. Is he going to now try to turn around and put a felony on Jimmy, especially when he knows two things? One, Jimmy did it for Kim. He says it right then and there. I did this for Kim, point blank, end of story. I didn't want to hurt you. And two, the reason that Jimmy's confessing to it on tape at all is because Jimmy still has sympathy and humanity for Chuck himself. That Jimmy doesn't want Chuck to be that upset. Jimmy doesn't want Chuck's life to be ruined. Jimmy's willing to come clean to Chuck because he didn't want to cause that kind of harm to Chuck. 
And so the question is in kind of, is there, what's the Chuck, what's the Chuck McGill version of Saul Goodman? What would Chuck's next lawyer name be, Rob? Uh, what, so Chuck's going to change his name? I'm saying, he, look, he if if he does turn around and let's let, to use the uh, the Jimmy McGill of it, does he turn around and rat f Jimmy by using this recording to put him in jail, punish him, try to get him disbarred or whatever? Some greater stakes than just changing his name. If he uses this recording for that, then he probably should. He's he's closer to becoming. I don't know what you want to call him, uh, but he's coming, becoming his own Saul, whatever that is. Well, yeah, I think that he's almost kind of like a Walter White, where he's like this nice man at the beginning of the series. And while he is also uh, with a sickness, uh, not a terminal one in the way that Walter was, I don't believe uh, Chuck might see that differently. But he's somebody who, you know, this illness has really caused him to have, you know, these uh, extenuating circumstances. And he's almost willing to do anything uh, in the same way that Walter was able to do some really uh, heinous things in Breaking Bad. Uh, You know, could he be really the one who is going to be also Breaking Bad? I mean, do we see Chuck become the villain before Jimmy does? Uh, Chuck is broken bad faster than Jimmy. (laughs) Salter. Yeah. (laughs) Chuck McGill. I don't know. This is a good question. And that's kind of the point when... When you sit down and ask yourself uh, or you speculate on what Chuck might do with this tape, you have to recognize exactly what you're saying, which is that the Chuck we know at the beginning of the series is very different than the Chuck we know now, who has now resorted not only to an underhanded task in order to get this evidence on his brother and lied and conned and done all these things that the Chuck from the beginning of the series wouldn't have seemed interested in doing. He did it. By taking advantage of his condition, by lying about his condition, by getting a tape recorder out of his garage and going outside and doing all these horrible things uh, that should have caused him all this sensitivity. And here he's gone and brought an electronic device into his home, Rob, and recorded Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And he's very different now. So the question is how different? And the question is, will that difference strip him of enough humanity that he decides, I don't care about my brother anymore. I'm going to turn this over to the police or I don't care about my brother anymore to the extent that I'm going to try to get him disbarred. Or is he still Chuck enough that he's going to say, look, I understand why you did what you did. You did it for Kim. You didn't intend to cause me this harm. You admitted what you admitted because of whatever. But what I want you to do is this. I don't want you to practice law as Jimmy McGill anymore. You bring shame on my name. Or maybe he tells him he doesn't want to practice law you know, anymore at all. And Jimmy's kind of con around that is to change his name. But I, I, I got to feel like what Chuck's going to try to extort out of this isn't going to be the ultimate end of Jimmy uh, to put him in jail or do something like that. It's going to be something a lot more Chuck-like. Uh, and I just don't think that even though he's broken bad a little bit, that the Chuck we know is so stripped of his humanity and so stripped of this relationship with his brother that he's going to go take him on and take him down like that. I, it's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting question. I think Rainbow asks uh, a question that I think is, is one certainly to plant a flag on for season three, uh, is what's Chuck going to do with this note? And I think what we know about Chuck is that he's changed a lot over the course of these two seasons. So it seems like it could be anything. I want to lean toward the side of he's got enough humanity left that he's probably not going to do the worst things he could do with the tape, but he is probably going to try to extract some price out of Jimmy. And to him, I think the most important thing is the law. And I think that he just wants Jimmy out of that. But I feel like that just I need you to change your name is probably not strong enough of a repercussion for Chuck. Yeah. And maybe he's going to say, like, I don't want you to practice law anymore. And 
Jimmy's kind of technicality to get around that is going to be to change his name to Saul Goodman. Uh, and I, hey, Jimmy McGill's not practicing law anymore, Chuck. Uh, and maybe Jimmy gets the copy of the tape when he agrees to do it, and then he finds his end around. That wouldn't really work with the State Bar Association, right. I don't think, Rob, but it might work in a loose arrangement with Chuck. It just seems so hollow to me in terms of that Chuck says, hey, I don't want you practicing law anymore. And Jimmy says, I'm not practicing law anymore. Saul Goodman is practicing law. Jimmy McGill is retired. Yeah, it does seem like it's hollow, like it won't stay. So <laughs> yeah. it is a good it is a good question. It's like a retirement uh, match. And uh, it's like, okay, well, this character, you know, yes. Mick Foley is retired, but Cactus Jack is here to wrestle tonight. And listen, you're comparing Jimmy McGill to a professional wrestler, and I don't think that that is an unapt comparison. Uh, I think that he's the kind of guy that would absolutely try to pull some shenanigans like that. And if Chuck doesn't have any kind of leverage over him at that point, he can get away with it. So it wouldn't shock me. So does Chuck try to use this to play on Kim at all? Does he say to her, hey, look, you know, this is I don't know how much you know about all this, but you need to listen to this because that for Kim, I think that she was sort of fine to be just like in the margins and not exactly know everything that was going on. Like she definitely knew that it was Jimmy had something to do with it. But she want to know just how much the sausage is being made on her behalf because I feel like that she has to be really uncomfortable about all this. Or at the very least, is Chuck willing to go to the bank and play it for them? Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the, the, the good question is what what will Chuck try to get out of this? And you're right. Kim definitely knew about what happened. She hits Jimmy after they get out of the house, after Chuck has already spilled it all, beats him up and says, just drive. And then later when they're lying in bed, uh, she says to him like, man, your brother's a really sharp lawyer. I'd hate to be against him. I would definitely cross my T's and dot my I's. No evidence. Yeah, and she's the one who kind of creates the incidents yes just like ty uh creates the things that, that cause jimmy to go back out and cause chuck to hit his head and go you know fall down and go boom the the issue though is what will chuck feel like he is required to do and mm-hmm. there are there are elements of ethics under the the legal code where chuck may feel like i'm sorry jimmy like you admitted it to me so now i've got to report you to the bar association because i know about a crime and i'm a lawyer who knows about fraud and you know what since i know about this crime of moral turpitude i'm going to be on the line if anyone ever finds out that i knew so i have to report you and so that's the reason that he would tell kim as well to put kim in a position where kim felt like she had to act because it became exposed that she was no longer on the margins It became exposed that she had a greater knowledge of what was going on when he played that tape for her. I don't think he can do that and not report it to the Bar Association himself. So it will be it will be very interesting to see ultimately what Chuck does. And it's not I mean, look, it's not 100 percent clear that this show will do what they're like, will follow the letter of the law. They may just kind of invent a way for Jimmy to get around this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily comport with the the letter of New Mexico law, or they may follow through completely. It it remains to be seen, but I think the big burden is on, is on Chuck at this point. Chuck knows what was recorded. He made the recording. He's got it all like dead to rights. And so it's just a matter of what will he do with it? And I think rainbow asked a very good question. Um, 
Maybe another question from Matt Sig here about what Jimmy might do in response to Chuck having the tape. Uh, Matt says, you think maybe Jimmy denies what he did and claims he was trying to make Chuck feel better because he's so crazy? Rob, what do you think about this? Do you think that Jimmy's out will be that, oh, of course, I was just saying that to calm my crazy brother down? I guess that is something that he could potentially say if it ever went into a court of law. But I don't think that that's necessarily going to be turned into like a he said, he said uh, with these tapes. What about could Jimmy rig up some sort of giant electromagnet? Would that potentially wipe out the tapes or at least wipe out Chuck? Ah, so you're <laughs> saying like an elaborate, an elaborate caper wherein Jimmy steals some sort of giant magnet, yes. uh, maybe like from a car crushing yard, right. for example. Yes. Uh, and then rigs it up so that it, it demagnetizes <laughs> the tapes. Erases the tapes and erases the Chuck. Uh, this would be great. I feel like that's been done before, mm. but uh, maybe not. Or maybe, maybe they could pull it off. It hasn't been done yet, but might be done in the future. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe and then Jimmy invents that move. It makes the paper somehow and it gets buried in the back of a local high school teacher's brain so that when he needs to do it later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just one more other thing going back to the tape. Do you think it's possible that Chuck takes the tape and plays it for Kim and says, hey, if you don't ditch Jimmy, then I'm going to go and play this for our friends over at the bank. So basically, he is not extorting Jimmy with the tape, but extorting Kim with the tape. I think it's possible. I, I, the Chuck that we know, I don't necessarily see him doing that. I will say, I found that conversation between Chuck and Kim in season two, earlier in the season, to be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, just where Chuck is doing most of the talking, talking about their dad, Kim is is doing a lot of not speaking uh, and letting Chuck kind of walk himself right off the road and expose himself. And Kim kind of throws a little bit of that back in Chuck's face late in the season. So I think those two interactions between Kim and Chuck are fascinating. And I think that when we look back on season two and those big things, those two really stand out to me. And I Mm -hmm. think they'll stand out even more if Chuck somehow involves Kim in this tape uh, situation, the tape gate. Um, the Nixon tapes. I just, I do think that that, that is something that is possible. Uh, he's all, he knows like it, he knows why Jimmy did what he did. And he knows that, that Jimmy has a huge soft spot for Kim. He knows Jimmy better than anyone. And so that's the kind of soft underbelly to really stab at if you want to hurt Jimmy. And so I can absolutely see Chuck going for that. And that's a thing where it is an illegal thing. He's not going to ruin his brother's career or job or put him in jail, but he is going to make him suffer. Uh, and by doing in doing so is really going to separate him from Kim. Uh, and I can see that. I can also see Kim Chuck saying, I'll play this for Mesa Verde if you don't leave Jimmy. And Kim saying, play it for Mesa Verde. I don't mm. care. You know, I can see that happening too. So uh, that's the kind of like moral gray areas that the show really trades in. So uh, hopefully the, the writers of Better Call Saul are listening to all these ideas people have sent in and that we're talking about here. Because I'm fascinated by all of them, to be quite honest. Yeah, I don't see her saying that. I feel like that it's more <laughs> important, the Mesa Verde stuff, than... Uh, her relationship with with Jimmy. But, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the writers and listening to that. And and I don't have any illusions that the writers of Better Call Saul are listening to this podcast or have listened to any of our podcasts. But in terms of, you know, I got a chance to listen to the uh, Better Call Saul Insider podcast, which I hadn't listened to at all, even though I had heard good things about it the whole season through. And just in listening to that, and Vince Gilligan is on the finale episode. I'm not sure if he's on all of the episodes. Do, Do you know? Yeah, he is. He is. Um, Just in terms of listening to that, 
you know, at, at the time that that was recorded, like they don't even know if they have a season three pickup, but it was just a good reminder. And, and I guess I, I did know this somewhere in the back of my head, but I kind of forgot about it where I think I just sort of thought that, oh, all of Better Call Saul is already figured out and they're just making these episodes. It really does sound like they sort of come in for the new season and then start writing from there where they don't they might know a little bit of what they want to have happen in season three. But as they talked about where they ended things in season one, then they sort of came back and said, oh, no, no, no let's totally change where we're going to go in season two. So I think that how this is going to happen is all yet to be determined. There is no magic bullet or answer of what's going to happen next season. I think that we are talking about things that have not yet been decided in terms of what they're going to do in season three. I think that's right. Uh, And you keep in mind that the way this project sort of was born is Peter Gold is the writer from the Breaking Bad writer's room who wrote season two, I believe it's episode seven, Better Call Saul, the first appearance of Jimmy McGill, of Better Call Saul, of Saul Goodman. And when they decided they were going to create the spinoff and make it a prequel in Saul Goodman, Peter Gold was the showrunner. Vince Gilligan was not going to be heavily involved in running the show. He was going to be an executive producer. And he had a project at CBS. He had these other things in the hopper. Well, uh, after the kind of project was kicked off and AMC was working with the people that were involved in Better Call Saul, for whatever reason, they got Vince Gilligan to come in and be the showrunner. Uh, And some of the show was already kind of on board. Some of it was already written. I think a lot of the plans were already made for this first season. And part of the deal they got to get Vince Gilligan in was they guaranteed a second season at that point. Mm -hmm. And so you can, you can see ultimately how this plays out the first season by the end of the season one, Jimmy is saying, I'm never going to let something like that happen again. And talking about giving money back. He's driving away with Marco's ring on and music is playing and he's crazy. And he's made the, we're all sure that he's ready. He's become Saul Goodman. And then season two is almost just a total retcon or reboot where he literally turns around and he's taken the job. And then we're back to where we are. So they do seem to be kind of audibling, making changes in plans throughout. But what I will say is I think as we go into season three, they've given themselves a lot more to work with in terms of not only what's going on with Jimmy, Chuck, and Kim, but also the stuff with Mike, the stuff with the note, uh, and kind of leaving that on on a kind of uh, a, 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 an interesting note itself uh, with leaving that note for Mike. So. I do think they've got a lot more to work with and they probably have conceptualized a lot more of season three than they had conceptualized of season two when they finished season one. So I do think they're in a much better place for season three than they were at the start of season two. Yeah. One more thing with Jimmy and Chuck before we start to talk about the note and a lot of the Mike storyline that one of the things that I really felt like in going back and watching the first or the last episode of the season that scene with the mom and we got to see both both parents this season in these flashbacks where we saw Jimmy's dad Jimmy and Chuck's dad and then we also got to see in the finale Jimmy and Chuck's mom and in both instances it seems as though there is a fondness for both of the parents for Jimmy and that you have Chuck there with the mom and you know he's the one that sits with her Jimmy is going out to get a sandwich and she wakes up and she says, Jimmy, and those are her last words. And that's all in front of Chuck. And I just feel like the story with Chuck and Jimmy is just this story that is of the prodigal son. And Jimmy, I feel like is just that son that left 
and you have the son who stayed behind and always did right by the family. And then when the son who left comes back, he's like, oh, why are we making such a big fuss about him that he, oh, he's not that great. And it's like, well, he was lost and now he's found. And I just feel like that the whole family, anybody that has that love of Jimmy, it just, it just rubs Chuck the wrong way. Like the son, like the son who never left. Like, what about me? Why aren't why aren't I the one who's getting more of the love? I was the one who was here the whole time, and not like Jimmy, who he's just gonna leave you high and dry. But for whatever reason, everybody always like we saw it also in the Rebecca episode too. Of like he, it just kills him. Anybody that everybody loves Jimmy, and it always burns him. Yeah, and I think that you're right. I think we're getting a lot of kind of fleshing out of the reasons that Chuck has problems with Jimmy. Uh, and I don't know, we haven't seen ultimately what the, the original cause of Chuck's health problem is. We talked about that a lot throughout the course of our podcast this season, but that's why I wouldn't be surprised if it was linked to Jimmy because Jimmy is clearly under his skin uh, quite literally. And I think in a lot of instances just really upsets him, unnerves him, bugs him, makes him very kind of anxious and really gets his goat. And it is because of the parents. It is because of the prodigal son aspect, as you're saying. Uh, it's just a, it's fascinating that we've learned so much about what goes on with Jimmy and Chuck. John Rumsey had kind of asked if we agreed that it was rare in a second season to have an antagonist like Chuck that is developed in a way that is complex, has understandable motives, and really helps drive the plot in interesting ways. John loves that Jimmy, uh, Kim, Chuck, Howard storyline, and there's no hurry to rush to Breaking Bad. And I, I think that there's a lot of kind of criticism of this show that revolves around the Jimmy and Chuck of it all. People love the Mike aspects, but they feel that the Jimmy and Chuck part is just slower uh, and it's a little more frustrating. But I really feel that over the course of the series, when you look at the arcs of the two characters, it's fascinating. And John's right. Like to have Chuck be so fully developed and see his motivations evolve in one little cold open here and uh, another beginning of the episode moment there or a stray story that's told in passing that we later see the full version of uh, it. There's a lot of that going on and we're learning so much more about Chuck. I don't think anybody's taking his side, but I could understand why people were if they were. I have no issues with either story. I feel like if anything, the frustrating thing for me is why is this a show? Why are these two stories together? Because if this isn't a prequel for Breaking Bad, then I don't understand how this is a show that exists on its own. Other than that we know in the future these two people are going to work together. If you just watch this as a show, that you would say, why, why are these two people on the same show? There's two different stories that are tonally a lot different. I don't understand how... We have these two guys who are roommates in this one show that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point. They had almost no interaction together in season two. They just had completely their own universes. They were both in their own orbit other than a, a few scenes. And that was a season of television. And I think where this show, if it's struggling at all, or where the show kind of has issues is right there in that realm that you're talking about, which is... They're making a good show with Jimmy and Chuck. They're making this sort of Shakespearean 
kind of brother against brother. Uh, what are the, the motives are almost biblical, Rob, when you talk about the prodigal son and things like that. They're making a show that is very much a legal drama centered around the family drama between these two brothers. Mm-hmm. And then they're making this criminal activity show centered around the drug trade in New Mexico, which is a show that we know is awesome and that we all love. And that's fine. But and that, doesn't and make- that show is a Breaking Bad prequel. Like right. this, that better call Saul to me, it really has very little to do with the breaking bad universe. Right. And I think that the biggest issue ultimately is once Jimmy leaves the chuck of it behind, once Jimmy becomes Saul Goodman starts working with Mike and really does that, then it is that show. Then it is only a breaking bad prequel. It doesn't stand on its own legs in any other way that it is just this show about the sort of, it's almost story of the week at that point. It becomes difficult because you have to build up Jim. You have to build up Kim and Chuck to an extent because Jimmy and, and Mike have plot armor. We know that they survive to breaking bad. We know where they end up. We don't know what happens with Kim. We don't know what happens with Chuck for there to be any real drama in this kind of show uh, that lasts over the course of seasons that make us wonder what's happening next. And that really has stakes. It has to be those emotional stakes that evolve from those relationships. Otherwise, and I'm not, I don't have a problem with this. It becomes caper of the week with Mike and Jimmy uh, and who they're representing from time to time before they ultimately are involved. You could, if they want to make the show about Gus Fring, that's a fascinating show. How did he mm. evolve? Because we never got those details ultimately from Breaking Bad. We had some of them, but we didn't know when we first met Gus Fring what his enterprise really looked like. We filled in some of those blanks, but not all of them. I think the show ultimately will end up there, but I think it, it is, is going to be a kind of a show of uh, two sides of the same coin or two halves that, that maybe don't ultimately end up to be a whole, but I think you have to have those emotional stakes with Chuck and Kim in order for this show to have any kind of narrative drama that comes from the, the arc itself. I mean, the Mike stuff is fascinating, but at no point this season did I think, well, God, Mike's going to die here. Like mm. he could, this could be it for Mike. And that's the stakes of Mike's story. It's life and death. So if I know that he's not going to find the death end of it, then it's just fun to watch and fun to watch is great. But I just don't know what you have there that really drives the story. So it, they're in a very difficult position. There's no question about it. And I think they're making the best of what they can of it. But I also think at the same time that as Mike heads further down the Gus Fring of it all and ends up getting further involved in that underworld, I think you're having more and more of a problem of how do you get Jimmy involved in that storyline where it used to be, okay, well, Mike was sort of uh, not that involved and it seemed like that they were sort of like going to go on that journey together to some degree. It's sort of like that Mike is progressing further and further along into that underworld. I don't know how you get Jimmy incorporated into that. Yeah, uh, it's a fair question. And I, we know Mike called Jimmy and he said, are you still morally flexible? Uh, that kind of guy. Uh, and that's when he called him when he needed help with price early this season. And so maybe Mike just makes the call when he needs legal help. We know Mike called about Tuco as well when Mike needed to lie to the police and have his lawyer there. So Jimmy does seem to be Mike's go-to when Mike needs a lawyer that will lie for him. And so you could easily see that kind of coming into place where Mike needs a lawyer to lie for him for something that is much bigger, or Mike really needs Jimmy to do something. And that that's the beginning of it. Uh, the relationship in Breaking Bad, Mike was Jimmy's private investigator, something a lot of attorneys have. Uh, they, they weren't exactly law partners. Uh, they didn't live together. They weren't bosom buddies, uh, but they did have a working relationship. So 
I don't know that it's necessary for them to ever come directly together uh, in terms of like every episode is going to be Mike and Jimmy working together. But I do think that I can I can see the lines where, where Mike will call Jimmy when he needs him and that can bring him right into it. I also wonder if Jimmy's going to ask Mike, hey, what do you what do you have for me uh, as he gets into this elder law practice and finds it to be truly boring and that he's not interested in doing it? I think he's going to like everything else he's done. I think he's going to get pretty bored with that very relatively quickly. It's just a very unusually structured show in terms it of is. you have Jimmy who is the lead character of this show. And then there's also Mike, who's a co-lead of the show. And there's very little sort of entanglement between these two characters, other than we know in the future, they're going to be characters on the same show together. Yeah. Uh, did we have a voicemail about the structure of this show, Rob? I think, I think someone called and asked us a question about that. Yeah, let's bring in our voicemail from Dan from New York. Hey guys, Dan from New York. I was very underwhelmed by season one and did enjoy season two a lot more. But looking back, do you think they should have combined both seasons into one 13 or 14 episode season? And that way they could have a more fast paced show. Obviously, I think most of the cut material will be from season one. Who cares about the Kettlemans? That guy who died in the finale, he can go. Because it's not a rule that these shows have to have 10 episode season arcs. The guy who died in the finale, he can go, Rob. Marco. Polo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is right. And, and, I think that I think there's that's an interesting observation. I think that uh, that Dan is onto something in that you look at the show that would exist if they did kind of story of the week or these sort of capers with Jimmy, and this is what you get: you get the Kettleman's, you get Marco, you get the cons, you get the backstory of all of this this sort of thing. And I think that we've got it now. So now we know kind of where Jimmy's moral flexibility is. It certainly adds a lot more to Jimmy's story. Uh, that we have it, but did we need it? And I think that that's a valid question. And as we talked about, the way the shows are separated uh, and the way they kind of had a lot of season one in the can before they brought Vince Gilligan. And by that, I mean, they were already plotting it out. They had it all. Not that they'd shot it and then they brought Vince Gilligan in after like episode six was already shot and edited and aired. Uh, but they were working on the show already extensively before Vince was brought in. And so the question is, how much of that is the original DNA of the show before Vince arrived? And then how much of it is changed? And so how much of season two reflects kind of the new creative energy that Vince brought to the equation? I don't know the answer to that. But I will say, uh, I think that you could have done what they've done in these two seasons over the course of 13 episodes. I think they could have pulled that off. Do you think we would have lost too much, Rob? No, I don't think we would have lost too much, but I think that's sort of like going back with, you know, uh 2020 hindsight and saying, okay, this story didn't play out. This story didn't play out. And I think that they had a monumental challenge of you have one of the greatest TV series of all time in Breaking Bad and you started doing this prequel and they started going down. Okay, well, what what story do we want to tell? And as we mentioned earlier in this podcast about how, you know, in the writer's room, they're sort of writing this one season at a time and they don't have a blueprint. And honestly, they, they're sort of they're in the car, they're driving and they sort of know where the ultimate destination is, which is Breaking Bad. But they really don't know, you know, the route that they're going to take to get there. So I can't begrudge them too much in terms of if it took them a season to sort of figure out where they're going to go. And there was a lot of stuff in season one that was fun, but maybe not necessarily things that paid off in the long term plan for the show. I'm not going to fault them too much. I don't think that we came away at the time at any night like, boy, that was a bad episode of television. So right. if things didn't really pay off, then, you know, OK, so what? Who cares? 
it's not going to be necessarily be where every single show you needed to see in the rewatch to ultimately get the end story. Yeah, and I and I think that there the the question really becomes like how much of the stuff that happened in season one is going to ultimately matter, and and I think that we don't know the answer to that yet, and I think that they are kind of arcing out a little more gracefully now in terms of leaving themselves this connective tissue between season two and what will become season three. But I, we don't, and so that we didn't have that in season one as much, uh, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, Sandpiper was a major issue in the context of this season for the first half, at least. And that was kind of the last three episodes of season one. So there was some connective tissue there as well. But as far as the character backstory, I also think it's really important to plant their flag, as you're saying, and say it's a monumental task to be a prequel to Breaking Bad. We need to put a few episodes in the can first that show what we are, what the kind of show that we can be, that we can have Mike running a caper with uh, with a remote control car, uh, and we can have Jimmy making the billboard thing and running a Saul Goodman-like con. We can do these things, and we can be funny, and we can be dramatic, and we can have the Breaking Bad cameo. So a lot of that stuff ultimately is important to sort of make a statement, say this is the show that we are, this is who we are, this is how we are like Breaking Bad, this is how we're not like Breaking Bad, and go on from there. So I don't know about combining them, but I think 10 episodes is the right length for the future seasons for sure. I think that they, they've they've kind of found their groove with that. Uh, and I think that it's interesting that we've got so much kind of hanging in the air. We've talked a ton about the Chuck stuff. Rob, I'm curious. We had a couple of comments about the note. Let's finish up, I guess, start wrapping this up by really covering the note of it all. Yeah. Um, we talked a ton on our finale podcast about this anagram, about Fring's back, and maybe they didn't want to let that be known. Maybe they were too cute with it. Um, the Insider podcast, which was recorded as episode four was airing, ultimately. So it was in the middle of the season that uh, that they were recording the finale stuff. Um, they did not really talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. And they'd already kind of named the the first six episodes at that point of the season, if not seven uh, or eight. So I think that, that, that the plan was in place at that point. They did mention in, in passing the episode titles, uh, but they were talking about the beginning of the show and not anything else. So uh, they did not mention on that the, the, the kind of click, uh, the you know, being the part of Fring's Back. Vince Gilligan talked in interviews after our finale podcast about how ultimately he thought it would be the kind of thing that Peter could make Peter Gold could maybe tweet uh, sometime after the finale. Like, hey, you might want to go back and look at the episode titles and get people talking. But it was not something they expected people to find before the finale aired. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's really any sort of question that that's what they were going for. And I think that even from, you know, the time that they did the second season of Breaking Bad, where you can sort of rearrange uh, the the words to say that, you know, uh, what what, is, what does it say about that? The, the, you know, the flight is going to is the plane is going to crash or, yeah. or what? You know, I, I forget exactly what, what it is, but. I, I just think that the internet and the reddits of the world are just so good. And the fan communities are so tight in terms of like uncovering things like at, at you know, an incredibly fast speed, you know, the combined processing power of, you know, tens of thousands of human brains working together on one thing. You really can't get much past the, and maybe Vince really underestimated how fast people were going to be able to, 
piece things together. And to the point where I don't think there's any doubt. We talked about whether or not it really was the fact. I think that there's very little in the episode that points to Gus Fring, but almost every single piece of information that's come out from production about the show leaves almost no room for doubt that it's going to be Gus Fring or one of his associates that left the note. And that's where season three is headed. Yeah. We had a lot of kind of general feedback about that. Um, Nita, uh, Nita tweeted at us and said, anagram aside, we all would have assumed that note was left from Gus. This is a prequel. Remember um, we had other people tweeting at us and saying they would have never Tim LaMaster said, I wouldn't have thought it was ever going to be Gus until you guys talked about it on the podcast. Uh, Goat Girl said maybe the DEA left the note for Mike cameo for Hank and Gomi. Um, so I think that there are other possibilities, but you're right. What's come from production and what's come out since the finale has made it pretty clear that this is going to bring Gus Fring into the story. It isn't necessarily that Gus Fring, like Jeff Probst himself hiding immunity idols, was the one that was out there leaving the note on the car, uh, or as John Rumsey pointed out for me, uh, finding the stick and moving the car seat back so that the, the horn would go off. Um, this is not uh, ultimately... Have, does it have to be Gus? We know Gus is the kind of guy that operates in the shadows. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be one of his associates, and we may not get Gus until very late in season three, but I do think that's the direction we're headed in, for yeah. sure. And even in the Breaking Bad Insider, I'm sorry, the Better Call Saul Insider podcast that they did, they talked about how when they really started to think about it, that it's sort of they weren't planning on getting Hector Salamanca involved with the story. But then when once you got Nacho involved with Tuco and then obviously, okay, well, if Tuco gets out of control, then that's going to lead to Hector coming into things. And if you have Mike and Hector really at odds, that that's going to naturally lead to other things coming up, which sort of in my mind really at that point even at time that you know i don't think they're being super subtle about this i think that they want you to be excited about gus fring returning to this show and i think it's something that you know is not even a secret at this point this isn't necessarily who didn't uh so and so kill on on whatever other shows on amc this is going to be something to be excited about for next season Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that they did it in subtle ways. They did it in ways in production. They did it in the episode titles. It is a prequel, as Nidas said. Uh, And I think that Hunter Scholl brings up a good point. We talked about the insects going silent. Did you notice that in your rewatch, Rob? I, I did notice that. Yeah, and Hunter says the same thing happens in the movie Once Upon a Time in the West, right before the first appearance of Henry Fonda's character, who is a villain in the movie. That's what the scene reminded Hunter of, thought the insects going quiet meant the big bad was about to show up. I'm not sure if that's why they did it or if there's any connection to that. I think that's a really awesome connection if that is what it is, uh, because it could just be like, okay, the insects went silent. That means this bigger character is is on the scene at this point. Uh, and then Mike goes over to his car. Uh, he hears the he hears the horn, goes over to his car. He's finding the note, and all of a sudden, the uh, the Gus Fring cartel or the Gus Fring organization is in the story. So I do think there is some natural connectivity there. I think it is something big to look forward to. I hope the people who don't love the Chuck of it all, don't love the Kim of it all. Don't end up not liking that even more just because the Gus Fring story is happening uh, with Mike and with what's happening in season three. And hopefully they find clever ways to bring those two things together. I'm confident that they will. Yeah, I think they really played a lot around with the sound design of everything to really show you just how far away 
mic was where you could hear when they cut to Hector and Nacho, you could hear the audio from there. But then when they cut to Mike, everything was so far away. I don't know necessarily if there's uh, the significance of, okay, this is like this game changing moment because you can't hear that. I think that maybe we just wanted to change around the POV of, okay, sort of like getting in Mike's head and sort of his focus and what he's thinking about in that moment, but it's really, they did put a lot of thought and energy into what that scene looked like and sounded like in terms of what we were going at. And it was a very interesting scene because it was also so slow. They talked about that a lot on that uh, better call Saul insider podcast of how they really took their time with that in a way that you probably wouldn't see on any sort of network show. Yeah. And the, the driver is screaming in the background, Rob. Uh, and we see that when we cut to Hector, like you're saying, but when you're from Mike's vantage, you can't hear it at all. And it does, it does, you know, you do question, is it because Mike is so dialed in that he can't hear these things? All he can hear are the insects in, in the background. Um, is that maybe a flashback to Mike, kind of the the reference that Mike made earlier in the season when he's buying the weapons from Jim Beaver or or looking for that rifle the first time uh, when he's considering killing Tuco. Uh, Mike says, you know, they, they made this a certain way and uh, it got wood and it got warped when you got in the jungle and they really should have thought of that. You know, it seems obvious that Mike probably has some Vietnam in his background uh, and maybe he's flashing back to that as he's sitting there sniping. Uh, so regardless of what they did, you're right. They put a ton of thought into the sound design. I thought it came off really well. I thought that scene uh, is one of the most memorable of the second season uh, for sure. I thought the way it's kind of you're looking through the crosshairs is really cool uh, through the scope of the rifle. I just think that that's all awesome the way that that played out. And uh, on a rewatch, it was still tense, even though I knew Mike was going to get out of it okay and I knew it was going to happen. I just thought it all played really well. So more of that, please, for sure. Yeah. Cool scene. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I mean, look, for all of the, the, the things that we've discussed today and throughout the course of this season, Better Call Saul remains one of the best made shows on television from a visual standpoint, from an audio standpoint, from an editing standpoint. There just are very few shows that bring the production that this show brings to the table, uh, especially the quality uh, of all of that. So you can, we, can, we can fret a little bit about the pacing or about whether we have ultimately, whether we've bought into the chuck of it all uh, or that aspect of the story or the two sides of the same coin. Is it a, are they even on the same coin? Or are they even in the same book? We can, buy, we can talk about all of that, but it remains an outstandingly well-made show. Uh, and I think that that, I have no reason to believe that that won't continue into season three. Yeah, one of the best production teams that working in television is making this show. They are winging it to, uh, you know, a certain degree. But I feel like that that's what they did on Breaking Bad. Also, I feel like I remember hearing stories about yeah. how, you know, they sort of like even the scene that was the flash forward and maybe uh, forgive me if I'm speaking out of school. And I don't have this story exactly right. But I think they said, OK, let's put Walter White and have him get a machine gun and then let's figure out how, where to go from there. And that's I think, pretty much right. And, and I think that they sort of like that. I think they like sort of painting themselves into a corner and saying, like, OK, how do we figure this out? What's what's the story there? And they're sort of like shooting and then also figuring out writing and they don't know where it's going. And I think it's going to be sort of fun to go with them on this ride. And is it going to be perfect? Are they going to be able to pull it off? I don't know. They have a pretty good track record. So uh, we'll see where it picks up in the third season. Yeah. I mean, we just talked a lot about how uh, the Chuck of it all and, and Chuck's evolution as a character and what he might do with this tape. And uh, Dan 
pointed out that maybe we could have cut a lot out from season one. But keep in mind, as they're having these conversations in the writer's room, the things they talk about are what what do we know about Chuck on an equilibrium or, or on that continuum? What do we know about how Chuck has behaved? What are some key incidents that have been shown on the screen or referenced that define his character? And they use all of those things to plot out where the character should go when they create these really exciting and interesting kind of scenarios that they put the character in. Uh, and so, yeah, you stick Chuck in a situation where he is Mr. Letter of the Law. He is Mr. Kind of uh, above everything, nose in the air. Now he knows that his brother has committed a crime, a felony, in fact. But it is his brother, the only person who takes care of him, the person who lifted the temporary thing, who did not commit him as Chuck expected, the person who is at his side when he needs him most, who has taken care of him when others haven't, who isn't being paid to do it. And so what do we know about Chuck and what do we know about what Chuck might do as a result? Those are the questions they ask themselves and the the reference points that they point to are the things that they've already written. And that's why they like the exercise of sort of letting the story tell itself they look at what's been told already. They look at the natural and believable evolutions of it. That's why Breaking Bad is such a good TV show, because things happen the way that you think they should happen, ultimately. And so it will be fa- And the reason that you think that is because you've seen how these characters act on the show, and they usually don't have them make choices that are inconsistent with what they've written in the past. So I think they're going to continue to do that. I think season three is only going to be better than season two and season one. And I think this is ultimately a show that the more we watch it, the more we'll enjoy it. Is there anything else uh, that you want to touch on here in our feedback show? Real quick final question, Rob, from Nando. Random Nando on Twitter asked, if Breaking Bad didn't exist, would do we feel like Better Call Saul would be significantly better? What's your stance on that? Mm, it would be different. It, it just feels like that you know, there are these two different shows that eventually have to, you know, diverge into the same road or converge into the same into the same show. And I think that that's going to be the more monumental task of then how do you take the Jimmy in this show and get him into the Saul in Breaking Bad? I'm really trying to wonder how are they going to reconcile these two different shows that are really just happening during the same hour each week? Yeah, I think that I think that's right. I think that that's the that's the difficult task. I will say to Nando's question or point that part of what we're talking about when we look forward to Gus Fring, when we're looking forward to when we when we celebrate when Tuco pops up right away, when Hector kind of walks in and he's talking uh, and it blows our mind right away and knowing that we might get to see what ultimately happens to Hector to put him in the situation that he's in, knowing those endpoints as an audience for the characters and knowing the things we know about them. Um, there is a lot of benefit this show gets from the fact that Breaking Bad exists. Even though it does give the characters some plot armor, we know they're going to survive. It makes those tense scenes a little bit difficult. Uh, we know there are things that happen uh, ultimately from Breaking Bad, and sometimes that can take away from the storytelling. I also think it can significantly add to it. And I think that's the kind of situation with any prequel uh, that you face. Rob, I know you're you're always talking with Josh about the Star Wars prequels, and Josh has a very different opinion uh, than you, and you're, you're a big fan of the Anakin Skywalker of it all. Uh, but <laughs> I wouldn't say that I'm a big fan of it, but I do feel like that, that story, I think, is uh, a little more commonly known because of that it was so explored in uh, the Star Wars prequels. I, I wouldn't say that I am a, you know, I, I wake up and I, I watch them all the time. I did watch, ironically, the first one quite a bit. Uh, 
you know, Josh uh, recently said on a different podcast that he felt like that, you know, that they are superfluous. They did not need to exist. Uh, that story was already told through dialogue in the first three movies that were made. Yeah. And it's a, it's a valid, it's a valid point. And we don't, we don't, we're not in that kind of situation with better call Saul. We don't know now that we know Jimmy McGill is Jimmy McGill. We don't know what turns him into the person who's ready to send somebody off to Belize and is cavalierly suggesting that that's the way criminals should handle their business is kill somebody. Uh, and we don't, so we don't know what gets him there. We don't know ultimately how he ends up where he is. And you're right. The big monumental task for this show is going to be now that we've established Jimmy McGill as Jimmy McGill. And now that we've set up all these characters, how do we get there? How do we get into a position where the characters end up, where they end up in breaking bad? I feel like they've sort of kind of uh, gone a little uh, soft with Mike giving him the kind of half measure treatment uh, in the backstory. When we get to better call Saul, that he's not willing to go the full way. He's not willing to pull the trigger on people. It's not what he's doing. Uh, when we know about him in breaking bad, it's the exact opposite. They want us to say what's going to be the incident that takes Mike and turns him into that guy. I think it's much more fascinating with Jimmy. I'm really the Bob Odenkirk being so nice and so human and so kind hearted is just not what we know about Saul Goodman. So how does he end up that way? And I think it's a really, I think it's fascinating. You're, I think you're right. I think that's the thing I'm looking forward to continuing to see the show do is evolve Jimmy in that way. I don't think we're any closer in that regard after season two. I don't. I think if anything, we're farther away than we were at the end of season one. And I think that's the issue a lot of people have, but I'm fascinated by that. How do we get there? What's the Anakin Skywalker story for Jimmy McGill? <laughs> we will see. Yes. <laughs> and who is the emperor? Who is the emperor? No. Yeah. Who knows? Who Maybe knows? it's Gus Frank. All right. So uh, we will see ultimately uh, how that all plays emperor out. Frank. Antonio, do you have a hashtag for our better call Saul season two? I just said emperor Fring. And now that you've said it, I don't know. Do you have any other suggestions? Yeah, that's fine. Let's go. Emperor Fring. Okay, uh, let's go with that. And uh, so that is our Better Call Saul recap podcast for season two. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say about that in the comments along the way. And we'll do our best to uh, respond to uh, what you guys have to say. And then it's just the wait now until we get to the Better Call Saul season three recap show. And that's probably going to begin, what, sometime in February of 2017? That sounds right. We're not going to do the Better Call Saul book club, Rob. <laughs> well, that's the thing about Better Call Saul is that there is no novelization of this story. There is no work that this is being adapted from. And I think that's sort of the fun and not fun part of it in terms of where this is all going. We really have yeah. no idea. We don't know. We Other don't know than we know where okay, it ends up. The, yeah, we know where it ends up. But, you know, what? what is that journey? We don't know. Yeah. And I, I think that we'll probably start season three. What are the odds? Let's lay odds right now, Rob. First season of season three. Is it a gene scene? Hmm. First scene of season three. Is All it right. a gene scene? I mean, I think we're probably getting a gene scene. And when we, when we come back and I'm sure we can uh, speculate a lot more when we get to our better call Saul season three preview show. Yes. There we go. We're looking forward to that. All right. Yeah. All right. So good stuff all around. Of course, uh, Antonio, outstanding work. Once again, always a joy to podcast with you. Same, Rob. Very much the same. I love talking to you about anything, but especially about the TV shows we watch together. Yes. And I do appreciate everybody who listened to us. And I know uh, we had a lot of people who uh, really did enjoy these podcasts along the way. And we thank you guys uh, for listening to everything that we put out in terms of Better Call Saul. 
Of course, you could hear much more of everything on the Post Show Recaps, which you can subscribe to at postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. Of course, uh, Game of Thrones, Fear the Walking Dead, Mr. Robot, a lot of stuff coming up in the hopper on the Post Show Recaps, in addition to uh, my coverage of Seinfeld on the rewatch and then also the weekly SNL coverage that we do. Yes. Yeah, I have two summer projects for everybody. One, participate in our Mr. Robot podcast. If you haven't watched that show, if you like Better Call Saul, have a feeling you're going to really like Mr. Robot. Josh and I did a spoiler-free preview podcast that's up already. You can check that out. We're going to be re-watching episode, or season one, one episode a week, and doing a non-spoiler recap, followed by a spoiler zone, a spoiler section at the end of each podcast, where we talk about how that episode fits in the context of the whole season. And we're doing that leading up to season two, July 13th, uh, where we begin our coverage of Mr. Robot season two. The second summer project I would say is for those of you who listen to this podcast who like Better Call Saul, if you haven't watched Breaking Bad, I'm talking about you, Johnny DeSilvera, uh, and other people. If you haven't watched Breaking Bad, that's a great time to do it. It's the summer. There's not as much TV on. I believe it's still on Netflix. It's an awesome TV show. Highly recommend that you that you knock that out this summer. I might just watch it again. Yeah, let's do it, Rob. We can do recaps. <laughs> Go <laughs> for right. it. All right. All right. Take care. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, yes. everybody, uh, so much for listening. Looking forward to reading your comments at postshowrecaps.com. Follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mazzaro. Two Zs, one R. Boom. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>